Welcome, everybody, to the Career Anatomy Podcast. My name is Jeff Borup. And I'm Rebecca Clark. And our guest today is Alex Empty. Alex is a professional tattooer at Copper State Tattoo in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome, Alex. Hi, how's it going? I'm glad to be here. It's my pleasure. It's our pleasure. I've had several tattoos from you in the past. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about your story and how you got to be the artist that you are today. All right. So what was your first job? My first job as a tattooer? Just in general. I was the untitled assistant at a botanical nursery in suburban Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. So I basically watered things and I threw things away and cleaned up dead leaves. And every now and then they let me play with bonsai trees, but mostly I just watered things. That's interesting. So did that kind of like pique your artistic interest or had you always been pretty creative? Well, it was definitely uh, the first occurrence of something that was professional that could also be creative. Happened to be my first job was pretty cool, but I broke some pottery, so they didn't let me mess with the bonsai pots too much. Before that, I did a lot of a lot of art, kid art, but you know. How'd you get into tattooing? Take us down there. Well, I think around high school is when I first started seeing people uh, in my age or in my friends group that had tattoos. All of them were involved in some sort of youth subculture at the time. It was either like punk rock or uh, this was the east coast so it was hardcore lots of kids were into hardcore and there was like clothing logos that would get tattooed and stuff like straight edge stuff and that really wasn't the guys I hung out with but they all had tattoos and a lot of them were old fashioned style stuff like stuff that I didn't see anything of like in my family you know the old the, what we would call traditional Americana style tattooing and uh, I think I got my first tattoo at 17 from uh, a tattoo shop that is still open uh, in Maryland. And um, I was just like immediately, it, it just like it clicked, you know. For some reason, getting a tattoo, having a tattoo, thinking about getting another tattoo, wondering what that could possibly be was just like my brain was just there, you know. And that progressed for many years until I actually got to... To starting to do it, but um, at that time I had no idea that I would ever, I would ever become a tattooer. You know, it didn't seem like a possible path. Most of the people that did it were <laughs> bikers or ex-convicts or people that seemingly had less uh, interest in making paths forward in their lives. Yeah. How did you make that leap from like just getting tattoos? Like, what clicked in your head that was like, I want to maybe try this? Um, well, the guy I was getting tattooed by for a series of years um, after I'd moved to Phoenix, he had, well, when I first started getting tattooed by him, he had an apprentice. And the apprentice was about my age, and I was just like, what does this guy do? He just, like, cleans the shop, and he watches, and he goes and gets um, iced tea and cigarettes and run stupid errands, and, like, then he goes in this little corner and he draws and then Jim eats something, and he comes running back in, and he said, I just wondered, you know, what is that like? And um, before too long, that tattoo artist had got himself in a new situation in Tucson where he needed another apprentice. So 
we had always talked about my future because he thought I was going to motorcycle mechanic school because, mm. again, I, I didn't foresee tattooing was something that came with being into the things that I was into. It wasn't really like it was somewhere between a record that you loved and like a shirt that said you were into a band, you know, more permanent, more committed, more, uh, more, more, you know, mm-hmm. I think that the, um, idea that you could do that hadn't quite really developed yet. But Jim and I had talked a little bit about my future and he thought that working on motorcycles was a complete waste of time. Uh, and then I would never make any money in Phoenix as a graduate from MMI. He was absolutely right. It's a it's a school you go to, they give you a diploma, et cetera. So while I was there, I had been getting tattooed by him a lot. And when he moved to Tucson to open his shop down there, he said he needed an apprentice. And I was on it, like, in a minute, in a minute. So I lived in North Phoenix. I was still in MMI. I hadn't graduated yet. And I was, like, trying to maintain an attendance standard because it was, like, one of those things that went with grades there. Meanwhile, I had this opportunity to, say, forget all of that uh, and drive 90 miles or so to work for free for maybe a year, maybe more, you know, Mm -hmm. with the idea that in the end I'll be able to support myself on this trade. And it was even remotely conceivable at that point in time I would have, you know, I had to get talked into staying in school because I was so excited about doing it. So I managed to do it. I managed to graduate from MMI. I have perfect attendance, really close to the top of my class. Never, never punched a clock in a motorcycle shop professionally after that day. Um, <laughs> so there we go. You know, I'm still dealing with the student loans, but, you know. Yeah. I, have, I have a friend who <laughs> went there. Her plan was to move back to New York and do motorcycles because it's, like more lucrative there, yeah. But ended up staying here and was like not, right, never right. did anything. And then it's useless. Seems like a huge gamble, though, going down that path of working for free. I like the sound Indeed. of an apprenticeship. It's very romantic, yeah, and kind of old school. Yeah, it, it seems like you definitely need to have that passion to be able to sacrifice. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of stories about what an apprenticeship is, but, you know, like, they're all some form of suffrage. You know, I washed pit bulls and was a designated driver. You know, Jim had a new shop in Tucson, so he had to go. We'd, after the shop closed, we would go from bar to bar to bar to bar. Um, He would drink one beer, talk to ten people, you know, wink at some girls, like, shoulder checks and dudes. And no matter what, they all ended up getting tattooed. The next within the next week right but he had to go out and be in all of these places demonstrating his ability to to get in with people and draw them in and stuff and you know so i was the driver and he had this lifted uh crazy lifted suburban thing and it just had these massive massive wheels and tires on it and it was it was deafening to hear when it drove just because of the wheel noise and it wasn't aligned very well and i had to deal with the driving and it was awful how did you make the transition from the apprenticeship to actually tattooing yourself? Um, that was that happened kind of by accident. Um, so as part of the deal, so I was living in Phoenix, apprenticing in Tucson, still at MMI. So I was able to be at the shop over the weekend. And if I could make it down there one or two nights during the week, if not three, and I didn't have a social life and I worked at Cigarettes Cheaper, so that was all I cared about was getting down to that shop. Part of our arrangement was is that I could tattoo a couple of the guys from my school 
at home, having cleared it with him, just so I could keep building my chops. You know, this is what I'm going to do. He'd correct my drawing gun. I'll do it like this. Set me up, make sure I had everything I needed, and then go, you're kind of on your own, you know, but if you want to, you can't come down here. So, And I tattooed a guy, and he told me he went to a tattoo shop, and they got all excited about the tattoo and wanted to know who did it. And I was like, ooh, okay, so I guess this is how you do this. So I went down to the tattoo shop, and they were like, yeah, no, we don't know what you're talking about. We've never heard of that person, and definitely don't think that was very cool or anything. You know, I was like, oh, man, you know. (laughs) I thought I was there. I was ready, you know. But while I was out, there was a tattoo shop across the street. And I was like, man, what the heck, you know. I went in there, and I'm like, hey, um," you know. And they're like, wait, who's, who's taught you? And I told them, and they're like, Oh, okay. And I'm like, what? They're like, well, leave us your number, you know? So I was like, okay, okay. You know, I went home and like the next day they called me and they're like, yeah, well, we called your guy and he, you know, was like, he really was like, okay with this. So, you know, we know that you're not quite all the way there, but we're going to help you get the rest of the way. And that was the first tattoo shop I worked at. So I didn't really officially have a graduation for my apprenticeship, but I had been making tattoos and I guess they were passable enough and uh, these guys needed someone that they could trust and train, so I was ready enough to fill the rest of the, you know, kind of the training mold. It's weird. Everybody kind of wants it to be a little different, even with bringing in people who are already trained. You know? What was it like tattooing your first person? Did you like tattoo a tomato or something um, first, or a no, skin, no, the... <laughs> or like, how did you? Me, uh, I was the first you... person to get tattooed by me. <laughs> so you did um, your own. Yes. I did. I did a a cherry blossom, a broken cherry blossom, all poetic and, you know, whatever. It's already falling (laughs) apart, you know. Um, Everyone in the shop had gathered around, and, you know, it takes two hands to tattoo, so if you're going to tattoo yourself, it has to be somewhere you can reach with both your hands and still manage to maneuver the tattoo machine. So usually on your leg, above your knee, kind of mid-thigh. The skin's pretty tough there. It's all muscle. There's not any, like, really, really delicate areas there, so it's not the worst pain level. And, uh, you know, I drew it up, made the stencil, slapped it on, and everybody was like, okay, go for it. (laughs) And it was weird, like, I'm wearing gloves. I know I need to wear gloves, but it's me. It was a very weird experience. Um, And it hurt like hell. (laughs) It was not fun. Was it, like, the first initial, like... Um... There Uh, was, there was absolute dread that I wouldn't be able to finish what I had just started. And then I think, um, like a shot of adrenaline hit my brain and I was like, my, my pupils probably blew up and I was like, uh huh. Yep. Cause what it feels like to get is not what it feels like to do. What it feels like to do is like one of the coolest feelings. It's, it, it is, it is like command of an art form that's almost, it requires more permission than it requires training, which is unusual. And I can get to that with some critique of the medium altogether. There ought to be more training, but nonetheless, like, there isn't a lot you can do in either profession or art that has that much impact on someone else's life short of uh, active violence. So it was very interesting. It was like I it was like a mix of emotions and um endorphins and I was like as soon as this isn't on me it's gonna be so much more awesome. <laughs> this is definitely a profound area and it's a profound art form. It's 
for me, it's it's been to a degree a lesson in consumerism <laughs> because I've you know I have tattoos that are 10 to 15 years old and probably the only thing that I've paid for in the last 10 or 15 years that is still around. Mm. I, I certainly want to talk more about what you're doing today. You own your own shop, etc. But take us back to the point where you're still working for someone in one of these shops with other tattoo artists. What's that like? It's kind of like, uh, well, I guess if you've ever played in a band, you play shows with other bands, right? So there's this, like, you have a relationship that you have to balance between personal creative and standards of scenery or how you would want to oppose those standards. So tattoo shops often have people that specialize or, or focus in different styles or more likely they didn't ever learn how to draw or execute other things and then they just kind of went with what they have the you know a little more natural flow for but uh it's kind of an eclectic array of egomanias and uh, dysfunctions and pathologies and substance abuses and you know it's a it's a very interesting place there's kind of an unchecked adolescent nature of it but it doesn't necessarily mean it's unprofessional it's kind of like a weird little circus, often working for other people, or at least places where I have worked and places that I've avoided working, where um, that circus is run by a ringleader who cracks a whip and expects some standards or some performance that is unrelated to their own work, i.e. some sort of like pyramid, usually a non-tattooer, you know, um, and the hours are 12 to 12 sometimes or later. You know, I, I came in late enough in this business that uh, I missed some of the we tattoo till 3 a.m. There's not I, I never tattooed in strongly military towns. So I missed that like, well, just, you know, go crack another Red Bull and get back to work. Right. Or worse. But I mean, I've heard a lot of stories about it. And this this business is kind of the gamut from uh, a salon type with a little fountain and twiddling water sounds and no other people around to the most abrasive music, the most abrasive personalities. And um, on top of that, you have to volunteer for significant physical pain. <laughs> so it's a, it, it is, you ask 10 tattooers, you have 10 different environments described, you know, with the same amount of like, this is the only way it's got to be. So that takes some fluidity and everybody at certain level in tattooing wants their work environment to reflect where they want to go. I want to know more about the marketing aspect. To what degree are your clients walk-ins versus your rubbing elbows at the bar or what have you? We're definitely getting some walk-in traffic, but it's, I think, largely due to web presence, local search engine optimization. I mean, I don't pay for base advertising anywhere, but we have an agency locally that keeps us relevant to Google so that people who are going, I don't know what makes a tattooer different from another tattooer, but I know how to read customer reviews. And I jumped the gun a little bit. Take us to to where you're at now. Um, And and that, if you can describe that transition from working Mm. for someone to working for yourself. Well, that working for other people when you don't want to is never really fun. So um, the sooner you can professionally create an end game, you know, in that regards, I think that was 
every young tattooer dreams about the idea of owning their own shop. Every young sailor wants to have their own ship, right? It's like a the thing, and many are wise enough to figure out along the way to avoid it. I have never made it more than three years in one shop without having a personality meltdown or a, some sort of impasse in which staying in that environment when usually all we got to do is grab our crap and leave. <laughs> you know, it's not that hard, and, and a few times I've done it and ended up doing my later appointment at another shop that same day. I mean, it's it's kind of like that, you know. There isn't a huge period of adjustment. So getting to where I was just simply sick of working for other people, and I was working in a very nice nice tattoo shop, too. Um, it just was grinding me against what I wanted to be able to provide for my clients and with my clients. Um, one of my close colleagues at that shop and I decided we would get a private studio. We would rent a building and just make a tattoo shop without it being a tattoo shop, right? Basically just like a legal standalone business that is not open to the public, you know? It now is very, very trendy, cool thing to do, which basically if you can avoid uh, some city person knocking on your door and you have some carriage house or air-conditioned garage, you've already got one. So it's not really a cool thing. It was just like we needed to have some space so where we could really put our heads into we wanted to create for people and that didn't really last more than a couple of years for me before I was exhausted of uh, clients and I needed to be able to have that accessibility again so I kind of didn't really want so much to have a tattoo shop in fact when I left them I wanted to get away from them but it seemed really the only way to secure kind of what I wanted out of a work environment that could be permanent but also like still give me some access to I mean the thing, you know, we always say in tattooing, somebody turns 18 every day, you know. So if it's not working this year, just suck it up and hold out, right? Like, <laughs> next year may be different, right? You know, whomever the pop star is, whatever the move is, right? Like, these these things are all kind of like time and tide, you know. I decided to, uh, with the help of a friend at the time, um, build this shop um, kind of on what I thought it ought to be and what I thought the city could use because it definitely doesn't need another tattoo shop. In fact, it needs a lot less of them. Unfortunately, that's not where it all is, so uh, I don't want to work for anybody else. So um, if I can get a couple people that are interested in pursuing their own growth the way I am interested in pursuing mine, I figured it would work out pretty good. My business partner didn't last very long. Um, within a year, we I had got him signed out of the LLC and everything just gone, um, you know, kind of partnership, sinking ship, you know. And uh, now I'm coming up in my third fall, so almost three years open, and, um, you know, it's just, it's it's hard. It's very hard, you know, and I'm pretty good at what I do, and it's still very hard. Let's talk about the art itself. Have you, first of all, have you turned anyone down? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, let me, <laughs> let me uh, qualify this by saying that this is, it's, it's, it's almost always never a preference thing like i don't care if it's a tribal tattoo from an actual island tribe or if it's like an ironic 90s bro tribal throwback but like it doesn't matter right like your preferences are your preferences like i want to make nice work for people i would prefer to make the work that i have like my most strong passions in and my most capable achievements in but I'm also interested in growing. And sometimes that's just like, 
well, I felt like doing something else, but I can't. So I uh, suck it up and I make somebody happy anyway, right? And still can you get paid for it. You know, we're, we're capable of doing lots of different things. But when it comes to turning stuff down, it's usually out of technical reasons or that's the one we'll give them. Yeah, I don't know. It's all going to blur together. Maybe if it was bigger, maybe if it was in a spot that had historical ability to hold something so tiny and intricate. You know, I don't want to urge people out of their preferences, but I really want them to understand that there are limitations to the scope of tattoos, especially on the small end. And that's really the tricky one. You know, I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years, so September 15 years. You know, the work that I've seen that's 10 years old, uh, is bold, it's clean, it was always bold and clean, um, and it didn't ask too much of size or space, or it didn't try to make tattooing into some tiny little trinket that is safe and usable for everybody. There's kind of a line there. I imagine the customer service aspect of what you do is probably among the most difficult out there. It's painful. I've been getting a tattoo by you when someone else has passed out (laughs) and you may have people who received something they weren't expecting or they had it their own vision in their head that was different than what you gave them yeah how do you learn to deal with people the way you have i was raised by two communicators so that's really useful. My mom was in public relations, my dad a journalist and a producer, so they taught me that if you cannot speak clearly, um, people will not understand you, and if you're upset at them for something that you can't tell them, you definitely, they can't help you, you know, Um, and I have twin seven-year-old daughters, so I beat this lesson into my head every day because I'm mad at them for stuff they can't understand. To avoid a multitude of problems, I just try to be as clear as possible. To be honest, I think in... Most creative fields, once you are able to achieve a certain level of product, you stop dealing so much with the one-on-one stuff. And that's that's really kind of where I still get frustrated is when I have to explain to somebody the difference between lasagna and ramen noodles and how if you just take things you like and put them in the same place, you're not guaranteed to like it. Um, and a lot of the time that I communicate with people, I'll use things like food as a metaphor because it's real simple to understand. We all get that. You know, right, yeah. But it's tricky because people are, you know, they're so invested in something like tattooing has got a lot of pop culture, presenting it as something that requires a story, that requires the preparation of preference and the expectation of how the whole thing is going to go down. And, and I don't want to be deflating you know, so I just try to steer around that as much as possible and turn no into a, a different type of a yes. I like that. Communication being pretty important when you're tattooing permanent things on people's body. Yeah, they get a lot of letters, too. So, you know, like, okay, we've said this word three times. We've written it three times. You've triple-checked it. But now we've spent so much time focused on it that I'm not even sure. So let's yeah. look it up again because I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Is this a cat with a K or a C? It all gets foggy. It for so long. After, I don't know. Yeah. Does that even say a cat? That's interesting. What's, like, a common misconception about tattooing hmm. in your work? Gosh, I think... The one that I'm, I feel like I'm probably most plagued by is the way that it has been done um, is somehow not as good as what people think they want. 
So um, we historically have designs on the wall that you could choose from to get tattooed on you. And most times they're just reference or, um, you know, we do this stuff as for fun. We make these paint, repaint these designs. I mean, you know, our shop is floor to ceiling hand painted. Like there's a lot of non hand painted in there, but uh, to be fair, but we do our best to, to keep painting. When I think people see traditional stuff or everything needed to used to need to be custom for a certain era of tattooing. Now it's largely gone back to more traditional work, but those designs, stuff on the walls, people maybe felt like they did, or like, uh, it's not important to me because it's already a pre-existing design. And as a result, it isn't like we got away from designs that were irrelevant to society. We threw away cookbooks because those designs were the reasons why progress was made in the business because artists knew them inside and out and were able to go, now that I know how to construct this thing, I can deconstruct it and create something different. And it's not just changing something here or there, but having those foundations continuously ever-present reminds people what not to get tattooed on them. And that sense is pretty much like my face in my hand whenever I'm dealt with it because it's like, listen, it's just, you know, I know you have some idea and you've seen it on TV and you thought that this is how it should be, but, you know, sometimes I challenge people to show me. I know we're in your phone. You're looking up tattoos in your phone, but can you show me where you're seeing your vision? And they go, no, well, that's why I'm here for you. And I'm going, why? Well, I don't see it either. Let's mm-hmm. do one that we know works. You know, let's let's mm-hmm. let's follow a path towards you know, something that, that is refined in its medium versus made up from, you know, whatever you can pick out of your preferences. Going back to your career as a tattoo artist, do you feel fortunate to be where you are? Almost certainly, yeah. It's a difficult thing to make consistent business, you know, um, and it's tricky. We have a lot of competitors, but, like, I get to make art for a living, right? And I get to make art in a way that I get to command a little bit of leverage on both my clients and my environment, and even to some small degree, like my industry, you know, I'm teaching someone else how to do this, right? Like, this is kind of a dream come true, right? I get to fly around the world a little bit, you know, and like, I have friends in various parts of, uh, of, of the states and even abroad who, you know, we share this kind of passion, and we also share, um, a pretty, well, it's pretty blown out now, but traditionally well-kept guild of secrets, and techniques and knowledge that you have to earn. Give us a, a little snapshot into one of those secrets that you've been developing lately. <laughs> well, um, in the last year, I have been learning how to tattoo uh, in a traditional Japanese method called tibori, um, which just means hand carve. So there's not not a tattoo machine so much as it is a stick with a bundle of needles attached to the end of it. And uh, it, I have been interested in, in Japanese tattoos probably since the beginning, but because of their magnitude, because of their foreign cultural, like, you, you know, refine, I mean, there's so much in there that I don't understand. So I never really did too much of it, you know. And we have its kind of influence in a lot of kind of hybrid tattoo designs, and I've done plenty of those, but um, knowing it from the source is something I never had access to. So... Last year, I started trying to figure a little bit of it out with the hopes that I could get access to a teacher in Japan. I'd already been to Japan. I have some friends in Japan, tattooed people, some tattooers. 
I felt like the uh, tail end of a really, really slow summer, um, that it was just like, do something or, you know, just sit here and wa- watch it be difficult to be where I want to be in the world. So I kind of just, uh, you know, put everything I had into getting access to this guy in Japan and I bugged him and I bugged him and finally he said, okay, you can come. I have a bunch of, uh, old, these old vintage scooters throughout my life and I'd put a couple of them up for sale and he thought that was pretty, uh, pretty honorable to, to do that, to just travel across the planet to talk to a stranger. Um, and I prepared an interpreter, um, and, you know, some gifts and tried to uh, put myself in a, a position that I could present my efforts in the hopes that getting some guidance and some support and maybe even a little bit of validation and, you know, kind of like a, a stamp of approval for wanting to do these old designs is really, like, invaluable because it's, uh, unlike other types of tattooing, it's uh, already the designs of 400 years old. Like, everything's all set. You just interpret it, reproduce it, execute it. And there are nuggets of truth that have been uncovered and handed to me in this process that... Um, are you know incredible i mean uh, as much as it is the secret of how to bake the needles how to build the sticks how to you know all this and that like the the real secret that i'm learning is the level of hard work and egoless pass fail self-check or other check you know teacher-student relationship like you know um willingness to just put it up to right or wrong so the apprenticeship continues yes i I think so you know absolutely in fact um i'll be out there in a couple weeks um to visit with uh with dharma-san and uh hopefully i'm gonna get my head tattooed which i'm pretty pretty nervous about i i have a hard time sitting down and getting tattooed in my own shop um but there i have the creature comforts of getting up and stopping and taking breaks anytime i want there I, i have only um, my interpreter. <laughs> I don't even have language. I mean, I know how to say stop, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> we could probably talk all day. There's finances <laughs> and all kinds of stuff yeah, that just goes guns. into running a business itself. What For the younger generation out there who are in high school, whatever, looking to become tattooers, perhaps one day run their own shop, what advice would you give them? I get to know a couple tattooers that own shops that have done it for a while before you really think of it's, you know, like it's hard. It's hard to um, want something that people won't get that other people can't produce. Imagine being in a band, but your bandmates had to exhibit the traits of a finely tuned kitchen. And if the sous chef was like lazy on the drums, the whole thing falls apart, you know, like, um, plus my, you know, my own inabilities to like keep it all like running smoothly. It's very hard, you know, the, the, the most important thing I think in being a tattooer is just knowing your craft, you know, and th- in which case the best possible pasture out there may be in someone else's shop. I have a few friends that are post shop owners and they're like, ah, this is great out here, man. One day we'll see you out here, you know. We'll be here whenever you're ready, man. Sell your shop and come float effortlessly in this, you know, like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of like what's most, what I was most concerned with was getting to a point where my work would be pass, that I missed a lot of opportunities to learn and execute the work that would pass, right? So just be a young tattooer. 
You know, like, don't do a sleeve before you've been through how to do a sleeve. Like, don't jump too far ahead of this thing, because even if it can sustain you now, there are a few shop conglomerates in this valley that don't have any relevance anymore because they were so moment in time tied to a style or a scene or a group or a part of town or whatever, you know, like fluidity is really the most useful thing. And I think that comes from just knowing your craft, you know, drawing is everything. Everything else is like, we've brought all of the equipment up into to the absolute most modern. I mean, you don't even, like, I don't even know what half of it is. There's a guy who brings supplies to our shop. I don't even know what half of it is, you know, I guess much more old fashioned stuff, but like the pencil, that's it. You know, books. Like that's how that's how you learn. I think pencils and books. I really appreciate you being here. I I feel like we could go on for hours. There's just it's such a fascinating area to me. I, I wander I too, so that doesn't help. No, <laughs> but uh, um, good luck in the future. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. first time listening then thank you for being here this podcast is produced by still west productions and new episodes are released once a month for your listening pleasure show notes and ideas originate from our blog and links can be found on our website at www.careeranatomy.com you can also follow us on twitter at the handle at career anatomy the views expressed on this podcast are ours alone and are in no way an implicit nor direct reflection of the views of our employers. We hope our discussions motivate you to jumpstart your own career research and develop your own opinion on these professions and how to achieve success in your field. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time.